Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Thank you, Matthew Arder. Welcome back to another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. This week, we are joined by singer, actress, funny lady, and educator Kate O'Neill. Kate is uh, mostly a singer. I think that's probably what she would first describe herself as, though I met her through the theme park world and through the land of musical theater here in Central Florida. She and Matthew are very good friends. They worked very closely together for many years, and uh, it's just a great time. And I, I, let's just get to it, shall we? We watched Season 7, Episode 10, called 321, with an original air date of November 23rd of 1985. Are you ready to jump on in? Let's face the facts with Kate O'Neill. say, okay, instead of it looking like I have five o'clock shadow. And anyway, who gives a shit? Uh, we're going to do uh, The Facts of Life. The Facts of Life. The Facts of Life. Kate O'Neill, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I am so glad Matthew suggested uh, calling you and bringing you into this because you have been on the list, the the lengthy list of people I would love to have in the show. I just hadn't gotten around to it. And I forget that you two and technically me by extension, we all worked together at the American yes, Idol did. Experience. Oh, back in the day. Uh-huh. Yes, that was good, clean fun. You two are part of the audition team. So anyone auditioning might get one of the two of you sitting behind the desk. Yes deciding your fate i had known you before that kate because we had done zombies from the beyond zombies from the beyond <laughs> at the garden yes, theater oh so much fun and and i oh. knew you i knew you before that too and i'm trying to think how yeah, other than i think just around i think the, just we kind of ran and yeah the the todd allen longs and the yes. the musical musicals the musical people yes that was fun all that did you watch the facts of life, Kate, as I a did. young child? Oh, as a young child. You're so cute. I will tell you that I was not um, uh, somebody that watched it every week. However, I would catch them every once in a while. And um, I had my favorites. And I had the people that uh, drove me nuts. Okay, well, do it. Name names. I want to hear. Okay, so first of all, um, <laughs> my favorite... Well, I'll name my top three. Top three. <laughs> top three of, of the cast of, of the, five. Yeah. No, it. there's more than that. There's George Clooney, right? He's not in my list. Okay. Um, if Okay, I'll do it like this. If I had to play a part, the part that I would want to play is um, the uh, uh, Edna. Mm-hmm. Uh, mainly because, God, she had like five lines the entire episode. <laughs> She still got paid the same. I like that kind of ratio. <laughs> she I got paid, paid. Funny oh, enough, okay, she got paid more this season because last. This is her last season. She's ready to. She's done. 
and she wanted to be done last season, but they talked her into staying more. And she writes in her book, she's like, it is an obscene amount of money they sent me, they gave me to do that last season. And she just couldn't say no. Oh my God. <laughs> so she got paid a lot to she have- She really had like hand. five lines the entire yeah. Yeah. show. She's yeah. on her way out. I love that. But um, I, I, you know, Joe was probably the most like me. But um, Natalie was the me I wish I could be. Mm-hmm. Like she's just funny. Let stuff kind of roll off. She's just mm-hmm. funny. She's a great comedic. She's got great comedic natural chops because this she had never been an actress before this. So that's hard to believe. Yeah, that crazy. Yeah, that was her first thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's a natural. Yeah. crazy well let us start to discuss season seven episode 10 three two two, one one. uh with the original air date of november 23rd of 1985 right around thanksgiving time where was i on that day do you remember where were you in 19 i do remember in 1985 i had moved down to florida and i was singing (gasps) oh i know what i was doing I had been singing in a top 40 band and then somebody said to me, oh, they're starting a uh, house band. And I thought, oh, that'll be so much better. So you don't have to travel around and do that stuff. So, uh, and it was a country band. Mm-hmm. And I called the guy and he goes, have you sung country before? And I said, oh, yes. <laughs> and you hadn't? And then I ran to the record store and I bought a bunch of little little country albums that I could listen to to try to learn some country songs before I auditioned. And I've heard you sing country. Oh, you're a natural. Oh, I my. sang country forever. I sang country at Sullivan's Trailway Lounge, which is now Cowboys. I sang there for eight years. Where is this? It's on OBT. Oh, you're talking that was here in town. Here in town. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I want to talk more about your your history and your singing oh, a little bit later in the show, but you've already got uh, extra questions I want to ask you because I, I assume that country music was in your veins from uh, how well you sing it, but, but so okay. Funny. I'm not going to get ahead of myself. We okay. are going to talk about this gem of an episode written by the wonderful Paul Haggis. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And this is the same Paul Haggis that would go on to write the movie Million Dollar Baby and win the Oscar for it. Yeah. He went from Facts of Life to Million Dollar Baby. Oh, I'll do you one better. Then after that, he wrote and directed Crash, which won no. the best picture Oscar. Yeah. He's got three Oscars. I think he won screenplay and director for that, too. I think he's got at least three Oscars. The man who wrote this. That's Just crazy. saying. That's, that's crazy. Why are you laughing, Matthew? Because it's a fun episode and it gives Blair, it shows off Blair and her comic chops. I okay. Think, a little bit. All right. That, that cannot be denied. No. Uh, <laughs> it was directed by John Boab, the in-house director for the show. We've discussed him at length. Uh, and uh, before we get started, Kate, doing our typical microscopic dissection, uh, 
I always like to put my guest on the spot and ask you if you would please provide a one to two sentence synopsis of the entire episode. Just a quick short thing, not unlike what you might read about it in a TV guide listing. Blair is challenged to find her integrity at Joe's insistence. Very good. Okay. Brava. Brava. If they are longer than two sentences, Matthew makes it a point to berate and insult them. So you pass. So glad I didn't do that then because I don't think I could take that today. <laughs> I think I could take a berating. It's like oh. people have never seen a fucking TV guide. <laughs> okay. So are we ready to start dissecting this mofo? Let's dissect. Okay. First thing we have at the beginning of the episode, we're in season seven now. The aesthetic has changed recently. It actually starts at like the dining room table, doesn't it? Or even the, the doorway out to the store. And it does a slow pan across the entire living room while the music is playing, while the initial credits are rolling. And then it lands on Blair sitting at the desk behind the couch. And uh, that was interesting because this this is still a fairly new set, Kate. This is, you know, Over Our Heads just burned down only 10 episodes ago. And uh, I'm sorry, Edna's Edibles burned down and they created Over Our Heads. I have to admit, we've been in the house before, but there were things I noticed that I hadn't seen before. Matthew, we have never discussed that mm. big ass, fugly, honking, rustic, wooden, high back bench that is yeah. wedged in diagonally at the foot of the stairs. Yeah. What it won't, the it, fuck is that? It won't be there long because that's where Beverly Ann puts her piano. Mm -hmm. so. I am stunned at the amount of knowledge that you <laughs> have of this. I am. I don't yeah. know anything this well in you my already... world. You already know more than a lot of people who've been on the show, Kate. I promise you. <laughs> well, at I least promise. I watched that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. You're, you're good. Yeah, yeah. No, you're fine. So, oh, and we're going to get into Lord. it even more as we go. Okay. Uh, so in the previous incarnation of the house when it was Edna's Edibles, that's where the desk was. And it makes sense. It, it was one of those, like from a feng shui standpoint, of course, that's where the desk would be. That makes sense. But this bench and the fact that it is so huge, it is so oversized and at an angle. It's like, you want to, <laughs> you only put things at an angle when you have so much fucking space, you don't know what to do with it really and truly. That's, that's what diagonals for furniture is in my book anyway. Uh, so I just want to throw that out there, but yes, I do recall that we will get Beverly Ann's piano next season. Apparently this is going to be here all this season and it's going to be bothering me. You're going to like it. Okay. <laughs> so Blair is sitting at the desk. She is going through some papers and marking them. And Joe comes in and asks Blair, what did you think of the news stories I wrote? And Joe is actually worried whether Blair likes them or not. And Blair says, oh, they're fine. I'm doing them now. And she has a big ass red marker and she is red lining the fuck out of these pieces of paper. In some cases, doing a gigantic X on the entire page. 
And they start to have a little bit of a disagreement about Blair doesn't like the stories Joe has written. And Joe is like, well, I write the news and you're supposed to read it. And Blair says, it's my face on the television screen. And Joe says, well, it's our grade on this class project. Thank you, Expositional Dialogue, written by Paul Haggis, Academy Award-winning screenwriter. Uh, it's, a, a, I guess, a, I'm thinking at this point, a TV production class, uh, a, a journalism class. They do later actually call it, I think. Uh, broadcasting or something. Yeah, a broadcasting class or whatever. It's like, uh, okay, sounds to me like an awfully elective course for two female students that we know have no aspirations. Yeah, we have, that was the thing for me. It's like already, I'm like, why? I, hmm? They've never once said, suggested that Blair might want to be a newscaster, which would have been a great job for her to oh, be God, interested yes. in. Yeah. But, or for but Jennifer, nothing leading up to that. No, there's been no talk of them working on a television news station for their college since the nope. show began. <laughs> yep. And the only indication we've ever had of Joe being a writer was an episode where way, way back like season four, there was one singular episode where Joe was writing a column for the, the Eastland newspaper and uh, there was a drug bust and she runs a story about the drug bust and one of the teachers getting arrested. Well, the teacher is a journalism teacher and he was always pushing her and pushing her. So this was kind of a bit of a revenge thing for her. Well, it turns out he didn't have anything to do with it. He later says, he goes, I saw what was happening at that party and I should have left, but I didn't. And well, here we are now. But it was one of those awful, fucking hate these episodes of Joe, the reason why I was so tough on you was because you're one of my greatest students with the most potential. Go fuck yourself. Oh, I hate that. Wait, David, I feel like somebody may have done that to you in the past. <laughs> I, I really, I, I really haven't. It's just, a, it's a TV trope and a movie trope of the, okay. of the being harder. And uh, you know what? There was one time where there was a theater critic in town who shall remain nameless, who kind of implied she went a little tougher on our play because she expected more from us. And it's like, don't go tougher on our play. Fucking meet it where we want you to meet it. Don't. Ugh. Yeah. But that whole thing of um, educator, uh, Kate, you you are an educator. So you, yeah. I believe, can uh, back me up on this is that. When there are students with great potential, yes, you can nurture and develop and evolve that potential without being a fucking dick bag to them. Am I right? True. That is one of my pet peeves too. Okay, good. We're yes. there. We're there. Yes. That was the last time Joe ever had any journalism-like inklings. Never heard of it. And now here we are, what, four, three, four years later where, uh, yeah, she's a journalist. Yeah, that's the ticket. So we've got Blair wanting to do more human interest stories, fluffier pieces. Joe wants to do important, hard-hitting things. This is where Joe's uh, liberal, sort of somewhat light hippie inclinations that we've alluded to before start coming up because Joe wants to do an editorial about 
uh, a housing development or an apartment complex that's being displaced and the people being evicted because it's on college property and they want to build a gymnasium. Gymnasium, yeah. And Joe's like, but people are losing their homes. That's not right. Someone should report on this. Uh, so we have that. You know what this made me think of as they were arguing? Hmm. Made me think of Murphy Brown and Corky Sherwood. Anyone? Murphy Brown? I Anyone? watched I, Murphy Brown. You mean the dynamic? Who, yeah. yeah, the dynamic of okay. I want to do Joe being the Murphy Brown saying, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. a journalist and we have an obligation to do some hard hitting stories. Yeah. And Blair is literally, well, I'm going to sit behind the desk and look pretty and we're going to talk to a cheerleader. Yeah. I mean, it is college news. So, I mean, I'm kind of team Blair here, but I found it to be out of Joe's character to call the professor and tell on Blair. Like that seemed like really, like I'm going right to the top. And she picks up the phone and dials a phone number. Remember when you memorized phone numbers and you just knew <laughs> phone numbers? Uh I don't remember my uh, parents' phone number now. Like she just oh, happened wow. to know her college professor's phone number. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. that's that's one that I just keep right here. Yeah. But you did. You remember back in the day, like you were like, oh yeah, oh, I yes. can call them. Like you you memorized all of those. Mm -hmm. I found it out of her character to just like go and tell on Blair to the to the professor for God's sake. I did yeah. And then the professor is a dick bag. Speaking of dick bags, yes. uh, he's yeah. a total jerk where she's like, she's like, yeah, I want to do this thing. And Blair wants to do that. And he's like, well, she, she's like, you hear only her side of the conversation. She's like, yeah, well, like, but I was, yeah, I know it's a collaboration. And, but the, and I'm thinking like, yeah, it's a collaboration. She's the fucking one who won't do the, the you know, she's not meeting me. Anyway, and this um, is why I never give group assignments. Thank you. They, there's always people want to come to you and there's somebody that's not, you know, carrying their weight, their own, pulling their own weight. And mm -hmm. then people are bitching. And next thing you know, people have memorized my phone number and are calling me. <laughs> I cannot. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I just say it's a collaboration. Work it out. Yeah, it's collaboration. Work it out. I have to go be under 30 years old and somehow have a job of a college professor. But yeah, we're well, going to deal with that when we meet him later. Yeah, that's another issue. And he was hot. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So that's why Joe, this this would not be the first professor that Joe has dated. So one wonders, why did you know his phone number? Well, uh -huh. and later on, he, they do talk about them failing, and yet he brings up giving her the D. <laughs> yeah, he goes, he goes, you're both going to get a D. And they were yeah. both like, oh, oh. So, yeah, that was purely sexual. <laughs> exactly. Because right. clearly he has a fetish for lesbians. Anywho. Um, Wait, what? Huh? <gasps> um, <gasps> So then um, Andy comes in, Andy oh. wearing two dress shirts layered over each other, both collars popped, high-waisted, pleated pants, I, all gray. 
Uh, I'm not as crazy about the color scheme, but I just looked at him and went, oh my God, you are the quintessential 12 year old stylish 80s dressing child. I, I love it so much, the costuming. I don't know how many actual 12 year olds dress like that in, in 85, but that was definitely what you'd see on a mannequin at JCPenney or Chess King. Like yeah. that was definitely <laughs> what, what they were pushing for us to wear. It, it was stylish and everything, but I still, if you like, it's like one of those things where it's like what people think the eighties were and they show over our heads, what the eighties really were a wood panel den with a TV and an Atari 2600 in it, like yeah. that and, and shag carpet. So I don't know. I don't know how many kids, but I will say this, David, George's ass is on the counter as yes. soon as they go into the thing. It's something that I've been tracking, Kate, is how many asses can we put on the fucking counter in these show in this shop? Every episode, somebody is seated with their feet up on the fucking counter. In one of the episodes coming up, Natalie's on there with her fucking Indian style with customers in there. Anyway, so (laughs) it bothers me. I get the whole layers thing, but still get his ass off the counter. Now, granted, (laughs) it's George Clooney's ass, so I'd clean it with my tongue. (laughs) The counter and his ass. But the point is... But, Kate, we have been tracking for the last few weeks. We have Carl Anthony to thank for the term horny child. Oh, I was going to hope we were addressing that. We are going to be addressing this. His dialogue, if you gave a an 11 year old girl or 12 year old girl that dialogue people would have lost their minds Mm -hmm. isn't it interesting that it's okay for a 12 year old boy to say what do i need to do to date a stewardess and everybody's like yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's true and it's one of those where the the concept of his dialogue i get it there's the it's very funny when children say adult things things that are uh beyond their years that's what is that's you know the appeal of the peanuts cartoons and you know charlie brown going to therapy with lucy behind a fucking cardboard box you know yeah but But, charlie brown's not wondering how he can get some puss (laughs) i mean he's not He's never like, he like, I have a crush on the redhead, curly redhead girl. It's never like, I want to see her mound. You know what I mean? <laughs> Even though now that I think about it, the whole him standing on the pitcher's mound and everything and him being the pitcher. Oh my God. Charlie Brown is overtly sexual now that I'm thinking about it. Okay. It? Maybe you should stop thinking about Sorry. it then. I will. Sorry. <laughs> but that thing of, okay, well, what is some more grown up like dialogue? Let's make him a little horn bag. Yeah, that's it. So when was, Blair sees it was, it was disturbing. <laughs> you're you're right. And thankfully, this is we we have a callback to this later. But we had an episode recently, Kate, where there were, by our count, 6.5 horny child references of differing uh directions where he was saying something that was essentially like, how do I fuck some more chicks? Oh my lord. Yeah. What we're referring to is Blair says, well, here he is. Here's a teenager of today. I want to appeal to them. What do you want to know, Andy? And he says, twinkle, twinkle, twinkle. Who farted? Somebody knows your, your, somebody has your phone number memorized. Oh no, that was one One of of my students. No. (laughs) 
I can't talk right now. <laughs> Make it work. It's a collaboration. Oh, yeah, yourselves. <laughs> Do they want? She goes, this is our, our demographic. Andy's not your demographic at oh. all. You're not performing for 12 year olds. It's a college. No 12 year olds are like, oh, I got to get home and watch the 11 o'clock college news for Christ's sake. Yeah. Uh, and maybe and she thought the mental capacity of a 12 year old. Okay. To all people right. who have the mental capacity of a 12 year old. Which, I'll give you that. You know, yeah. Because frat boys, 12 year olds, not too dissimilar. No. no. Not too different. Yeah. Anyway. The best compromise they can come up with is Joe says, fine, you do the stories you want to do, but let me pick the interview because I want to interview the dean of admissions about this apartment situation. And Blair's like, okay, agreed. The interview will come later, but I've already booked. uh, Exactly. But I've already booked the head cheerleader. And it's like, God damn it. So they take their dispute as they're walking and they move on into the store. Uh, This is where George comes in. They're looking for the price gun. Um, there's label. A f- the label gun price. Yeah. The, the label gun price the label gun. Yes. Yeah. Um, so Blair also in conceiving what is going to go on this, this news broadcast out of a college in the previous scene, both Natalie and Joe are in these big ass blousy 1980s tops, not a waistline to be seen or found anywhere. My goodness. I and applaud then, the no-lit waistline. <laughs> now that I don't have one, I applaud. Back in the days when we could just wear leggings and a big baggy sweater. That's my life right now. <laughs> That's my uniform. I call it my menopause uniform. Uh, <laughs> so the David, next... But before we go to the next scene, Blair says... Um, right, Blair tells Joe they argue, and she goes, "Write me something with bite, with men and women fighting for survival." That's what the story is that Joe has given you, Blair. Yeah, it's so she's like saying because she argues with her about the uh, the story again, and Joe says, or Blair stands up and says, "Write me something with bite, with men and women fighting for survival." Here's your story. These men and women are fighting for survival. They're about to get kicked out of their house, Blair. There's so I don't understand why she's against this particular story, but I love Blair. So I it was too <laughs> deep. It was too deep for her. There was not oh. enough dazzle, whatever too, she said. She yeah, needed. too close to home, I guess, maybe. Uh, but maybe. But okay. in this second Sorry. scene where they brought up the idea, Blair has brought up the idea of doing a remote live thing from the store, like a human interest story about over our heads. And Joe smartly says, uh, this is TV journalism class. We're being taught that the news has to be impartial. You're a part owner in this business. That would just be like you putting up a commercial. Mm-hmm. And Blair is still committed to it. And finally, Joe just throws up her hands and says, do whatever you want, uh, sell out. Let's just get our A in this course. I don't care anymore. So Joe's just done with it. It's about time, Joe. That's all you had to say at the beginning. Let's just do what we got to do. Uh-huh. Maybe Having that's... integrity is exhausting. Thank just you. give it up. <laughs> <laughs> You're so right, though. Maybe it's my old age or something, but I'm like, Joe, just fucking... Just, just doesn't take, matter. Take yeah. the A. This doesn't matter. Yeah. 
Drink oh. the Kool-Aid and yeah. I, oh, I hear you. Be worm food one day anyway. Yeah. This, ain't the, this ain't the hill to die on, Joe. No. For Christ's sake. No. <laughs> <laughs> Integrity is exhausting. Exhausting. <laughs> oh, God. I want that on a fucking doormat or something. <laughs> That's maybe that should be our slogan for the podcast, because God knows we're just uh, flying by what's in our brains. We no. we try to do research, but half of it is, you know, no. slapdash and things we've heard. Yeah. Rumors no, and speculation. You, know, you have all kinds of info. It's very interesting. So with this uh, decision that we're going to do this live remote human interest story from over our heads, the next scene is Tootie in the store, suddenly taking on the role of director, planning the shots and what's going to happen. A rehearsal, Andy's in, Andy's there having to take George's place because George is late. This is where Blair shows up in what she's going to be wearing at the broadcast that night. And it was Maddie McDermott who pointed out that when Blair dresses up like this, this beautiful blue suit with the high collar blouse and her big fluffy blonde hair, she looks like Angela Bauer from Who's the Boss, doesn't she? Oh, I didn't think about that. Judith Light, that is literally something. But the Isn't outfit, it? but that kind of outfit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's spot on to me. I'm like, that is, that looks so, so Angela Bauer. And similar to Angela Bauer, Blair looks like she's 45 years old. Yeah, she does not look like a college student. It's the, it was the 80s. How old was she really during all that? Oh, God, here's the can of worms. I'll well, see you in 10 minutes. How, how funny you should ask that, because I do track the ages of the girls, Kate. Yes. And he tracks it like he's tracking their cycle, all right? Just, <laughs> for God's sake, Kate, you have cracked open this can. All right. Uh-huh. Refill my drink. It's so easy. This is, I won't go into everybody. The reason why I do it, Kate, is because they have changed the ages of the girls throughout the seasons. And only just recently within the last couple of episodes, did they fuck with Andy's age. And it's like, no, pay attention. But the what? short, the short response to your answer is Lisa Welchel in real life at this point is 22 the character of Blair Warner is 21. That's all. That's She's a college bad. junior. That's yes. not bad. And but have you ever looked like my, I looked at my mother's high school yearbook. Holy shit. They look like they were 40. Yeah. I was, I yeah. thought this life is yeah. hard. The 1940s and 50s. The the 80s were especially like that because of the shoulder pads and shit, but also like the the frosted hair, the perms, the the things. But um, but yeah, it's it's fascinating to me. But at the same time, like I'll watch like a World War II documentary and Mm -hmm. they'll show these 18 year olds like in the plane going to Normandy. And I look at them and I'm like, look at their little baby faces. They're yeah. just babies. So, but it's, so it is weird to look at Joby like she is 45 years old. Oh my Lord. Because she's only 21. Isn't that wow. funny? Mm-hmm. Huh. So with this scene, the, um, we, we have planned, Tootie has planned things out. Mrs. Garrett has an actual entrance where she comes in wearing a scarf like she never does in a feathered hat like she never wears 
playing to the I, camera. Welcome I, to our shop. I was completely baffled by that. Uh, like, what? What was that about? Oh, my problem is majorly like Tootie. You're a high school senior. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> All right. I, too much confidence for you. She. <laughs> Uh, when she said, when they were like, who are you? She's like, I'm Tootie. Like, you should know who I am. <laughs> what is wrong with you people? Just the way she said it, I thought, I need that kind of confidence. How did Tootie oh. get that much confidence? We have I, no idea. I'm, I'm 61 years old, and I don't have that kind of Tootie confidence. <laughs> you, you've never said to anybody, I'm Kate fucking I'm O'Neal. Kate. You, you should. You should say, in this town, you could say, I'm Kate fucking O'Neill, and that would mean something. I don't that think you realize. Nobody remembers me. Haven't I said that to you, Kate? I, haven't I said, I believe in our friendship at some point, I've said to you, Kate, you are Kate fucking O'Neill. Act like it. <laughs> you might have. I, yeah. I Because be, I always like to pull was that out. Was that when I was crying? Probably. <laughs> but I mean, you've talked me out of many things. We skipped over the fact that something I needed to talk about, David, in this beginning of the scene, George comes in and he's late. Yes, George is late and tell us why. Oh my God, David. Oh, yes. Oh my God. I needed to pause and touch myself if I'm being honest. <laughs> Because he said they, she, a tootie requested the Miami Vice look, and it's cold out there not wearing socks. Can we just talk about George Clooney not wearing socks for a minute? Oh, oh <laughs> God. Okay, I guess we can't. But then how he grabs Andy and pulls him out of the scene by pulling him into his armpit. Oh, Mackenzie Aston, you lucky little motherfucker. Oh. I, I have to say, I was thinking when I saw that, I wonder what he smells like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> thank you. I was 100% thinking that when I saw him do that. I was like, I wonder uh, what he smells like. A 24 year old George Clooney. Oh, I bet he smells like heaven. What I picture heaven smelling like is George Clooney's armpit. Mm. Wow. You're welcome. <laughs> Well, I was going to credit that our, our dear close personal friend, Diana Eden, the costumer for the show, Kate, whom we know personally, yes. uh, she did a beautiful job where he was supposed to come in looking like Miami Vice and the outfit is perfectly imperfect in that it looks like a guy like George having to throw together a Miami Vice look. Trying. Yeah, this yeah. is what he come up with because it doesn't quite do it, yeah. but it it is 100% correct. And uh, I love that. I love when little details like that do um, do happen, when it looks like someone is paying attention when they're making a TV show. Uh, so Nobody pays as much attention as you do, David. <laughs> I oh. can't believe the stuff you notice. This is amazing to me. I'm the fascinated. <laughs> the list of notes that we're sending back to the writers in our time machine to fix this shit. <laughs> It is, it's going to be voluminous. Uh, oh voluminous. It's awesome. Yes. Uh, Joe, I have to say, this is a good hair episode for Joe. Her I mullet. had hair like that. Did you? Yes. I, I had, it was a very short period of time, but I, I had perm 
with Mullity. <laughs> I demand, yeah. I demand that you provide a photograph of this. My mother has the picture in her little uh, assisted living apartment, which is oh on a God. cube, which I always turn away. It's <laughs> a picture cube. It's a picture cube and I always turn it so I don't have, <laughs> nobody can see that mullet picture. Oh, I haven't okay. thought of a picture cube in 25 years. Picture cube. Oh, my God. oh my God, my brain is exploding right it's now. It's so awful. It's wow. so awful. And the thing is, it's like, <laughs> I don't have the kind. I mean, there are people that can get away with that look. I, I can't get away with that look. I, I look like, like, like Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> like, <laughs> the only thing that's missing is I waxed my mustache off. Otherwise, I look like Billy Ray Cyrus with that mullet. It's awful. Just awful. Oh, I know hairstylists that won't do it. And I went, I used to get my hair done by a lesbian. And I asked her one time, I was like, how do you deal with lesbians coming in here wanting a mullet? And she goes, I tell them I won't do it. I tell them not, uh, I will not. Line. I will not cut a mullet. <laughs> it's yeah. I oof. Yeah. anyway. It was in it, it. It had a very short life. The mullet. Hmm. But I mean, it's it's fire burned very brightly. Oh yeah. yes. And it's in its short short time. Oh in yes. This, it was a star that did not live long, but burned very brightly. Yes. Well, yeah. yes. You're gonna hate the um. Blair's hair in the coming up episodes. I put season seven on last night and just let it run. Mm -hmm. And oh, what did she do? Oh, it, 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 every episode's a different haircut, and one of them I'm convinced is a wig because <laughs> it's just it's like she pulled all of her hair forward and and it's all like and yeah. So she's kind of messing with her hair this season. I think. Oh my! She's still gorgeous, and I'm not mad at her. <laughs> So with all of this stuff happening at the store, uh, the two actual news guys show up from the crew, two very hot blonde 1980s guys. Uh, they never really went on to do anything else. And uh, so we're, we're just gonna leave it. I'm not even gonna tell you their names. Did you look them up? I did, there's not much there. Yeah. Did, you, um, did you Google their name and then put obituary? <laughs> no, uh, we look them up through IMDb, which that's you. what I do. That's what I do when oh, my mom wow. wants me to look up her old friends. Wow. <laughs> I just type their names in obituary. Wow, that, that just took a turn. Wow. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry I got off track. <laughs> <laughs> but the, oh, the big God. thing that I'm always looking for is, do they appear at any other time on the facts of life, either oh, as yeah, these yeah, characters yeah. or as others? And yes. they do not. None of the guest stars in this uh, appear at any other time. Um, so they put together this, basically Tootie tries to run them through what they've rehearsed. And then it ends with them in a tableau behind the, the counter. Goodbye from over our heads. Is this where Mrs. Garrett runs in? And this time the scarf is caught on something and we get a Charlotte Ray. No, I believe that happens when they're live. Uh, does it? Well, it's Charlotte Ray, the broad. Um, I'm not sure a widescreen TV. I'm not sure Cinerama or Otadeo is a broad enough screen to contain the broadness of the physical bit of Mrs. Garrett walking into the room and almost being choked by her scarf. 
it's it wow are it we gets just a laugh gonna, are we just gonna make her an idiot from now on like uh, mrs garrett like i don't like at all what they did to her character in this particular episode i like, didn't understand what was happening to her i literally thought she's high <laughs> they made well, there were even things what makes your cookie so darn good <laughs> That's so, what they said. Dern Gerd. He said, Dern Gerd. Dern Gerd. <laughs> okay. Cookie so darn good. <laughs> and that was George Clooney saying that. And I thought to myself, well, this explains her behavior <laughs> <laughs> because she's high as a kite. Well, and we liked, edibles. Yeah. Her she shop had was some edibles for sure. Her name, her shop was named Edna's Edibles. And if you watch those episodes where they're in the shop, you will find out that the store was a drug front. <laughs> and, um, and because like you get everybody coming in, you're going, we've heard Edna's um, quiche is the best quiche that we can <laughs> get. Where can we get Edna's quiche? Yeah. And it's we- a lot of like, mm-hmm, yeah, okay. That's code, <laughs> that's code word for Maui Wowie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It was very, I totally did not understand her weirdness. Yeah. I was like, yeah. and she- I mean, the whole interaction with Tootie where she's like, we're so glad to have you on our ship. And she, Tootie comes over and goes, it's nice to have you here. Oh, thank you, Tootie. That's so nice to be here. I was like, what is happening? Like Edna's not. Uh, is this like- an Alzheimer's? Did she have to leave the show because she had dementia? Is well, that what really happened? No, next week we have a heavy Edna episode where an old friend of hers comes back and accuses her of having an affair with her husband. It's like a super duper heavy Edna uh, episode. I want to watch that episode. Yeah. And uh, well, it's like, available she, she's on, up, on the, the, the Roku I'm, channel. I'm going to watch it. Do it. Yeah. She's definitely playing for an Emmy in the next episode. I think she was like, this is my last chance to get nominated for an Emmy. Was mm-hmm. she being fed her lines in an earpiece? No, believe oh. it or not. I, I don't think so. I think it's she just the writing. She earned her money on that one. She earned her money on that episode. Yeah. <laughs> well, the How thing many that... lines is this? What? <laughs> <laughs> All this in a week? <laughs> what? I just pooped my pants. Where are my strawberries? Where's my gun? What is happening? Oh, my God. Okay. Oh, God. Okay. So before we go to commercial, uh, in all of the kerfuffle of them trying to show the camera crew what they have got rehearsed and whether that's going to work, Joe walks back and Blair says, I knew you'd be back. And Joe says, yep. And I've made a decision. We're going on together. And Joe handcuffs herself yes. to Blair. Yes. Can I just say? Wow. One, uh, as a college student, I would not have even known where to go to get a pair of handcuffs. Mm-hmm. But um, that made for some weird uh, lie. Like, can I just say, well, maybe I'm jumping ahead, but when the professor comes in and Blair says, and I, there's someone chained to my wrist. <laughs> yeah. What an interesting choice for delivery. <laughs> like, 
are we trying to get a rise out of the professor? Open yeah. For the D? I don't know. <laughs> but that was so weird. As opposed to this crazy see you next Tuesday, damn fucking right. handcuffed herself to um, me. There's someone chained to my wrist. Yeah. That would have been a more... Exactly. It's There's someone to my wrist. Oh. <laughs> this is Joe's dream come true. Joe God, yes. has been waiting to pull those handcuffs out of her sex toy chest <laughs> since season two. The and tension now has been building. For- finally got him on there. And then she's under the desk. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. When when Blair when they're about to go to to film and Blair like grabs Joe's head and like pushes it down below the it's it mm-hmm. you're like like any split. There's a lot of lesbian overtones. Weird going on there. A lot of it. But before we get to that, we have our commercial break. And Kate, during the commercial break, I like to get to know our guest a little bit better. Wondering if you might take us on a little Mick tour of your life and your career. So Kate O'Neill, where were you born? I was born in New Rochelle, New York. New Rochelle, New York. So that's not far at all from Peekskill. It's no, it's just a hop, skip and a jump. Wow. Very close. So yeah. uh, Yeah. So I was born there. That was where my mother was from. I was supposed to be born in France where my father was stationed, he was in the Air Force, but my mother didn't like the doctors and thought they were gonna kill her. So she made him fly her back to New Rochelle and I was born there. Wow. Do you have regrets that you're not technically a a French woman? I think if I had been born in France, I probably would have embraced it and learned French and developed an attitude um, (laughs) that I don't have. So yeah, I do regret it. Whenever I see French people, they ooze sort of like cool confidence and I feel like I missed out on that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So when did you first get the bug to perform? Did you- Let me tell was you, it- my sister and I performed together all the time from the time we were very, very little. My mother, I looked at my baby book and she said she sings in tune um, songs that she had taught me at two. Wow. So she, they were teaching me songs and my sister was like two years older than me. And we performed together all over the place. Anybody who would listen, we put together a George M. Cohan medley and we performed it everywhere. Wow. You're a grand old flag. It was amazing wow yankee doodle dandy yes that was on there as well man so when did you regards to broadway that's right all of that yes and uh so did you eventually study performance and singing no you didn't I i never studied really i took a couple when i was in college i went to indiana university they have a big opera Uh, department there that's very well known I took a couple classes uh opera classes and um decided um I don't like opera (laughs) um however I did like singing and what happened was I went to a um 
I went to a summer camp. I worked one summer and they had a talent show for the um, counselors. And I uh, won the talent show. I did a song, I did Desperado. And I won the talent show contest and everybody was like, oh, you sing so great and blah, blah, blah. And I was thinking, huh, huh. So I went back to college that year and I went to the music store and I said, I just want to let you know I, I'm a professional singer looking for a gig. And if you hear of anything, let me know. And then I got a call that said, there's a band in town and their chick singer quit and they're looking for somebody. And I was like, okay. This is and like I, a 1940s, like, like 42nd Street. I walked into the store and I said, I'm a lady singer. And they said, well, <laughs> uh, this band just lost their lady singer. She just quit. It was like amazing. And so I went and they hired me. And it turns out they were a very good band. And I was completely out, out like, this is like incredibly lucky that I am here and doing this. And I, it was amazing. Uh -huh. I, I mean, it really was total luck and there were, many many people in town who could have done it better than me i'm sure but i just loved and i and i was in and they we made an album and we performed and like one of the guys the one of the i mean the the guys in the band were fantastic one of them mm -hmm. ended up playing for the dixie chicks was like their head guitar player and band leader for the dixie chicks wow. another guy is real well known and kind of in the indie area like it, mm. yeah it was crazy 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 so good luck uh, yeah, that's yeah. and you know you you were certainly good enough to hold your own there, but I imagine it was also great learning experience. Yes, for you. I and you a were lot. in college. Did you finish college? And what did you end up getting well, no, your you degree know, in? What's so funny is that I I just short of graduating. I thought I the drummer had moved to Florida, and he said, "Oh, you can get a job singing in a band here, no problem." And I was like, "Okay." And I drove down there, and I did. I found a job in a top forty band. And then I went back and finished college, and which I majored in behavior, social and behavioral science, sociology and psychology. Oh, okay. Like you do so, when you're a singer. Something to fall back on. Helps you understand people. Yeah. Wow. Yes. And then that begot you this country yes. band job. So you, if you I had said to, David- I into it again, yeah. If you had said, David, I'm a Texas girl, I would have been like, oh, okay, of course. That's why you are yeah. such a country music. You're no. so adept at it. I didn't that know any of that. Is amazing. I had I had sung Linda Ronstadt. This is why I confidently said I can sing country music because I had done Linda Ronstadt music. Uh, sure. She was kind of well, a, a bridge. I had sung Desperado at Camp Potito. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> When did musical theater kind of come into your life? Okay, so then um, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but a lot of top 40 bands and country bands and stuff, they want the females in their band to be very young and hot. And came the day I was no longer young and hot. Uh-oh. <laughs> and I thought, I got to figure something else out. Now you're just hot. Now I'm just nothing. Oh, I, used, I, used, I went up to, we moved around a little bit and we were living up in um, Connecticut and they were putting on Fiddler on the Roof at this community theater in Yorktown, 
New York, where they would bring in Broadway stars to do the lead and then they would fill in, you know, the other parts with the community. And my whole, you know, growing up, we had listened to all these albums and Fiddler on the Roof was the one where I always sang along Frumacera's part. So I had it down. So I went in there going, I'm going to get Frumacera. And I got Frumacera. And that's and an the actress. first theater I ever did. Oh, my God. Yeah. Crazy. Because when you're <laughs> when you're doing Fiddler on the Roof and an actress named Kathleen O'Neill walks in the door. Who was the Broadway person they brought in for that Fiddler on the Roof that you did? Craig Shulman, the longest running Jean Valjean on Broadway, played Tevian. Oh. And I got to choke him and he told me I was choking him wrong. I was going to break his moneymaker. Oh. Oh. So he had to teach me how to choke him. So you didn't have your hand around his neck. How do you think I got the part? Giggity. Hallelujah. So then uh, you, at, in the time I've known you, you have performed at theme parks. True. You have done singing gigs there. You've been kind of an independent contractor. And True. then you've moved into sort of back to your educational roots. Yes. And uh, talk about your, your career nowadays. Well, now I'm a college professor. I teach communication. I got a master's degree in, in interpersonal communication. Wow. You can and, see it's serving me well in life. I'm single. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I should say, but I don't. It's that, say it. that great moment in Moonstruck where the woman throws the drink in the face of the man she's dating. And then we realize it's John Mahoney and in his conversation with Olympia Dukakis, where we've seen twice now, we've seen him have arguments in a restaurant with a girl throwing her drink in his face <laughs> yes, and running yes. out. And he's like, what do you do? And he says, teach communication, NYU. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> That's one yes. of the best jokes. Yes, but God, it's so true. It's like, I know what, what I should do, mm -hmm. but I just have a hard time doing it. <laughs> Well, I loved when we, the rare times we would get to share the, the green room at American Idol at Disney. You guys were kind of in your little zone and I was in mine. God, Kay, I learned so much from you every time we talk. Every time we talk, you are just a light in my life. You're such a delight. Thank you for saying that. I'm not smooching your butt. You know that. No. But David, say it. Kate O'Neill. Yes enough about you we have to <laughs> yeah. I, we need to get back to the conundrum of joe being handcuffed to her girlfriend um which is without... another sitcom trope i believe again uh, yeah. you get to a point where in every sitcom there's an episode where somebody's handcuffed to somebody else i think maybe yeah. it's just three's company but it I feel like it's been done before. Lucy, so we start the second act of this sitcom on the set of the Langley News TV station, wherever this is. The, the cameras are there. There's a floor manager, stage manager um, calling that, you know, we're getting ready to go live. Let's do a, a live commercial. So we get the sort of coming up. We're going to have this, that, and this. And Blair's hand is below the desk. And then when she puts her hand up, you see it is still attached to Joe's hand. And then uh, Professor Jordan comes in right before they go to air uh, to be a fucking dick bag. That's the word of the day about the men who mistreat these women. 
the fucking dick bags. Even what did though she call him, she said something like, "He's an idiot." Idiot, I think that is man, what the and, man's an idiot. That's yeah. What she said. But he's so young. It's like Professor Jordan being a ball buster. Like he comes in. I'm like, oh, well, hello, Professor Jordan. I'd I'd like you to give me a D. But uh, anyway, that was just weird casting. And he wasn't that good. Not not, sorry. Don't sorry. Actor Phil Redrow. Um, not your, your strongest work was still ahead of you. Uh, What was his future work? Never mind. uh, Nothing. So, um, but did you Blair check obituaries. Oh no, <laughs> she did it again. <laughs> he might be. He, he might <laughs> be gone. Did he go on to anything? He's dead, Kate. Are you He's happy? Dead. He's fucking dead. <laughs> well, his best work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Blair begs Joe. She says, "I'll do your stories. I'll read whatever you want. Just unlock but the handcuffs." But we know she's lying. She's lying. Joe's she's Joe doesn't totally believe her. So then we get this physical, again, this is, this may as well be Lucy and Ethel here. And uh, funny thing, a little sidebar I do need to make is one of our faithful listeners and one of our Tutti Fruities who supports us through the Patreon, uh, a lovely uh, woman by the name of Michelle B. She had gone to one of those, um, I guess it's like a women's retreat kind of a thing that would be done through a, church or religious group and lisa welchel was the speaker it was the thing you know lisa welchel made a lot of money on the speaking circuit through the the christian church Mm -hmm. circles and all that and one of the things and i do have video she did take video of the talk where lisa welchel said people asked me what was my favorite thing i ever did on the facts of life and lisa welchel introduces and shows this clip of her and Nancy McKeon doing all the physical shtick of trying to conceal that Joe is handcuffed to her under oh. the desk. And, uh, and it's really very sweet. And that's interesting. Yeah. And, and it's really physically, the physical comedy, the situation preposterous, what they yeah. do with it. Absolutely wonderful work. Bravo to the actresses or brava, excuse me. So, um, we do go to live feed from the store. It's it's clunky and awkward. The callback when they introduce the staff is it comes up to Andy and he's got on the aviator sunglasses and he just looks at the camera, takes them off and goes, I fly planes. Still trying Again, to fuck a stewardess, little 12 year old. But who's writing that? Like, I mean, I. I we get that his supposedly his hormones are out of control and blah, blah, blah. But like, like, really? You give him the line, I fly planes. You, it's not like you look like you're older than you are. Why not like, I'm the star basketball player or something. You know what I mean? Like, why mm. did it have to be, I fly planes? That's, it's just so non sequitur for him to, Because he know. wanted a stewardess. I, I, yeah, I get it. But I mean, it's just like, I don't know. The whole storyline, like, why is he, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. I think, I think you're right that it's like, they could have done. I found his dialogue creepy. Yeah. He has not hit puberty yet. (laughs) And and so that kind of dialogue is like, and frankly, from a psychological perspective, children that are promiscuous in their, in their, um, in their behaviors are children who have been abused. And so my first thought was, what is going on in his house? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who hurt you? Who hurt you? 
hurt you, yeah. Andy. <laughs> You're right. They touched you when they shouldn't have touched you. I, I've said this before that it would be different if it was an actual teenager in right. puberty. You could get He's it, but he is young. he is still every inch a child. Exactly. That is what is not working here. <sighs> so we come back to the studio and Blair has got Joe now just sitting at the desk, sitting next to her like a co-anchor situation. Uh, we try to do the interview with the head cheerleader, Penny. Of course, the head cheerleader is presented as a complete and total blithering idiot. And they call her Penny because she's so cheap. Oh, nice. Is that <laughs> is that from the show or did you just make that up? I just made that up. What? I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I thought they called her Penny because she ain't got no sense. Oh! That's even better. Booyah. But my question, I mean, she knew what part she was playing, that little actress. She knew what she was doing. Mm -hmm. I liked her delivery and everything. Oh, yeah. How how does that cheer go? Go, Langley. Go, 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 go. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't mad at her at all. I thought she she did exactly what she was there for. Yeah. No, no, not no diss to her. It's just the writing of it was a stereotypical cheerleader, dumb, blonde character. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, she so does not want to read this fucking editorial that Joe has written. Blair says, go back to the shop, go back to over our heads. So it goes back and it's a shot of like the tabletop and they quickly have to scramble. So we get more um, comedy in the form of awkwardness, of ill preparedness. And Edna offers it's to take high them. High as a kite. It's- <laughs> And, uh, takes him into the kitchen, but the cord won't reach. You hear the cameraman going, the cord's too short. Just so as they, well, because she had illegal things in there you, that she you would was have adding seen. to her batter. She'd have well, been cutting the coke right there. Yeah, it would have yeah. been bad. My problem is that the camera guy is there, but the anchor isn't. Yeah. The guy who was there from the beginning. Yeah, who, did he take a potty like, break? What happened to him? He's gone, and the camera guy's just sitting there, like, and then it's George everywhere. Clooney takes the George takes the microphone. Yeah, mm-hmm. and steps in and saves the day because ugh, this yep. is after he's asked like, "Where can I buy this?" And then they take no money from him, and then he shows up <laughs> behind the counter to say goodbye. It's so fucking weird. And there's yeah. a goose that's really that's yeah. called a duck. Yeah. And that's not right. A goose called a duck. Yeah, it was. That's the, not the, right. If Andy was a little older, he would know the difference between a goose and a duck. Mm-hmm. He's it's, never been goosed. He's never. <laughs> he hasn't had enough life experience uh-uh. to know the difference between a uh, goose and a duck. There it is. Okay, so that's why you shouldn't be trying to fuck a stewardess. Exactly. Jesus. So then finally, 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 Blair says, I'll read the goddamn editorial. And she starts to read it. And Lisa Welchel, after doing all the wonderful physical work that she's been doing, she now starts reading it in a sort of detached, I'm just reading this because I have to. And as she proceeds, the words that Joe has written, not just about them kicking people out of their apartment complex, but words like, uh, this is about our town. This is a place where Peekskill call it their home. And... Blair, as she is reading the editorial, is swayed. And it ends with, the choice is yours. Either way, we thought you should know. And then Blair tags it with, at least that is this reporter's opinion. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes, in the end, 
She claims it is her own. Yeah. That's. <laughs> she Joe should have plagiarized Joe's work and claimed it as her own. The handcuffed hand should have come from off screen and just been slap. How <laughs> dare you? And with that moment, finally, them coming to an agreement, uh, the crew at the store is on the monitor and somehow they're able to talk and hear each other back and forth. And they say, so when are you coming home? And Joe says, soon, why? And because they were forced to say goodbye for about two solid minutes while Blair and Joe got their shit together, they just had to, to tread water there. Tootie's response to when they're coming home, she says, because we want to hurt you. Yes. I love the way that was delivered. It was wonderful. Tootie really, I feel like, let her power be known in this episode. She stood in her truth. She, she let it be known that she was Tootie. <laughs> and she was going to hurt, hurt them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then oh, the tag, the final joke is... One of them says, oh, come on, you don't mean that. And Mrs. Garrett says, <laughs> come home soon. And there it is. Pretty much just like that. That's actually like a she, really good imitation. It's like she was here, huh? It's like she's right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, there it is. I, yeah. I can't Final thoughts. Over. Final thoughts, Kate O'Neill, on the episode. Well, final thought. I, let me wrap it up. I'll do a little bookend because in the beginning you asked me how I would, uh, you know, um, summarize the episode. And, you know, it's about finding integrity at Joe's urgence. And she came close, but she never really found it because she plagiarized Joe's material. Mm. But isn't but that, she, I mean, that was the, but she the made point. It, she, made, she got closer to it. I mean, that's what writers, that's what anchors do. I mean, they don't generally write the copy. So, I mean, for her to add, that's my opinion on it, I think is is more pl- taking it as her own than just delivering the editorial. If she had you just delivered the editorial. You think that she's editorial. changed? Like, you think yeah. it oh, changed I think her? so. Yeah. I, th- I think it changed her mind a little bit. But, <clears throat> but, I mean, it's like, you know. It's like saying Jimmy Fallon is plagiarizing his joke writers. No, that's their job to write fucking jokes for him and that. And it's, yeah. her, it's Joe's job to write that for him. And I think it's just a fun, silly episode. How was it to step into Kate O'Neill? Like, I, I have to say, I, you know, I watched the show occasionally. I was in college, you know, when the show came on. So I, I wasn't really in the age group of like, you know, that was that was watching it the most. Yeah. You were old. I was old. But um, but I did catch some and I always had my favorites and thought it was kind of cute and funny. Um, mm-hmm. But to see how you analyze it is really fascinating. It's really <laughs> a, like an ag- academic study of, <laughs> um, of this episode is really nice. Well, thank you. And Kate, my tens of listeners agree that they find (laughs) this entertaining. And I hope so. This is just me doing this stupid little fucking overanalyzing thing that I would do if we were sitting at a party and the subject came up. So, uh, yeah, I would I would synopsize and dissect 201 episodes of a nine year sitcom before you left the party. Uh, 
So that's so sweet of you. I'm glad that you find this entertaining because there are so many times where I'm just like, oh my God, what is wrong with me? What is no. just, this is, this it's is so silly. Fun. Anyway, anyway, this yeah. has been fun. This has been Matthew. You always like to end with a, a, a question that you always ask our guests. Kate, oh, no. what was, so this was our show. The facts of life was our yes. show when we were growing up. Yes. Well, when David was growing up, I was a toddler, but what was your show then? If you said you were already in college by the time Facts of Life, like what was your favorite show as a kid? What was that? Wow. I watched the Brady Bunch. Okay. That was a, that was a very popular show that I watched a lot. And I watched the Partridge family. Okay. That was another big one that um, I loved. I can dig that. That was big in our house because my sister is three years older than I am. So yeah. she's a she's a few years younger than you. Did and she have a crush on David Cassidy? All the posters. <laughs> all. I cut the mouth out of one of those posters and fucked the shit out of that. No, poster. God, no. <laughs> it looked it looked like a goddamn Jackson Pollock painting. By the time <laughs> I was well, Kate, this has been a wonderful time. And thank you so much for being on the show. So uh... sorry, Matthew has to run now. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for having me on. Uh, it was delightful. What a nice been, way to end my day. Oh, I'm glad. It's been great to see your face and, and just shoot the breeze with you again. So I look forward to the next time. Smooches and goodbye. Mwah. Bye. And there you have it. That was Kate O'Neill. And my new favorite quote Having integrity is exhausting. <laughs> that, that will always be attributed to her now, from here till forever. I will post that video of Lisa Welchel talking and introducing the clip from the show. Uh, again, thank you, Michelle B., for sending that to me and for giving me permission to share it. So uh, check that out at this episode's webpage, along with some other fun supplemental stuff. Next week, we're going to be watching Season 7, Episode 11, called We Get Letters. And we're going to be joined by actress, writer, storyteller, Alice Fairfax. You can watch the episode ahead of time at dailymotion.com or currently on the Roku channel. I will put the links in this week's show notes and on this episode's webpage. That is all. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs> <laughs>